Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We're happy to have our brother Don Pell with us, and we're going to turn our Bible Instruction Time over to him at this time. Brother Don, please. Good morning. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might. Brings me back to the days in the Grand Haven Christian School where we used to sing that song a very a lot of times. Almost committed some of those verses to memory in the process. I'm going to ask you to turn to one other portion of Scripture for our consideration this morning, and that is in the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 5. And I'm going to begin reading at verse number 1, Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing The tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, we, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, How much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. And we'll stop reading there. Today, or not today, but Monday, will be Memorial Day. thought I'd read a little history about Memorial Day in case you've forgotten. Memorial Day is an American holiday observed on the last Monday of May. That'll be tomorrow. Honoring the men and women who died while serving in the U.S. military. Originally known as Decoration Day. I kind of remember people referring to it as Decoration Day. It originated in the years following the Civil War and became an official federal holiday in 1971. Many Americans observe Memorial Day by visiting cemeteries or memorials. How many have ever attended a, a, a Memorial Day memorial? Okay, I don't know that I ever have, but uh, in small towns it's pretty easy to get to a, a memorial service. They hold family gatherings, participate in parades. I remember a few Memorial Day parades. Unofficially, it marks the beginning of the summer season. I thought that happened a month ago, but here in Florida, I think it did. The civil, you know, you're not supposed to wear anything white after what? Memorial Day and the way it worked? 
Or no, no, it's after Labor Day. You can't wear any white. You can start wearing the white after Memorial Day. When I was in school, those two were great dates. Memorial Day, I out of school. It always worked that way, exactly. Last. And Labor Day, back to school. That's the way we did it there in Michigan. Okay, here we go. By the late 1860s, Americans in various towns and cities had begun holding springtime tributes to these countless fallen soldiers, decorating their graves with flowers and reciting prayers. The Civil War, which ended in the spring of 1865, claimed more lives than any other conflict in U.S. history and required the establishment of the country's first national cemeteries. I didn't realize they were that old back in 1865. Memorial Day, as Decoration Day gradually came to be known, originally honored only those lost while fighting in the Civil War. But during World War I, the United States found itself embroiled in another major conflict. And the holiday evolved to commemorate American military personnel who died in all wars. So everyone is covered now. Of course, Memorial Day, as we know, is a day to remember those who died for their country. Remember, General Patton says, make the other guy die for his country. But that doesn't always work that way. People died for the cause of freedom. 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 Freedom in the government. The ability to elect your representatives. Freedom in society. Freedom of speech. Move about freely. I didn't have to check with anybody when I moved from Florida to North Carolina or to Virginia. Just easy to do. No boundaries there. Just got in the car and we moved. Opportunities for advancement, freedom of religion, of course, how sacred that is to many of us. The ability to meet, to teach, to preach, to broadcast through the airwaves. The National Anthem reminds us that we are the land of the free and the home of the brave. In Atlanta, they say the home of the Braves, right? That's the way they work. <laughs> sometimes the cause seems to be clear, and a war to maintain freedom sometimes seems justified. A justifiable war, imagine that. And I think World War II kind of stands out. Considered one of those justifiable wars. Nazi Germany with their atrocities, their attempt to conquer the world using the Jews as scapegoats. Resulting, of course, in the Holocaust. All those people, some amazing people who were murdered. Imperial Japanese atrocities. Their attempt to conquer the world. And their preemptive strike at Pearl Harbor. I remember hearing that when that occurred, young men came rushing to the recruitment offices. Professional athletes dropped their balls and bats and went and signed up and recruited and became recruited. It was a real national. I've often said I don't know that the nation will ever be that put together, that sense of unity that we experienced during World War Number Two. So many stories come out of that war, and they haven't still been told. I'm surprised there aren't more stories that come out. Have you ever wondered what would have happened had we lost that war? You know, there is a series, I don't remember what it is, I just watched it for a time, where they pretended that we had lost the war. 
Germany and Japan had prevailed. And what happened is, and this is interesting, it's all theoretical, of course, the Germans had occupied the eastern section, you know, all from New York right on over, right, getting into the Midwest. And Japanese, of course, because they're on the Pacific side, they started, they took control of California and those western states. And then there was a middle area called the buffer zone, or the independent zone. They had a name for it. You could kind of go there, and you weren't quite as subject to the restraints that you had on either side. But here's the irony of it. The Germans believed that the Japanese were totally inferior. And what was their goal? That's right. They wanted to push them out and take control of the entire country. You see, that's just the way of man. Power-hungry man. Years later, some countries forgot. Isn't that sad? They did. Let me read this. This is really interesting. In 1966, then-President Charles de Gaulle announced that all American troops on French soil must leave so as to eliminate any trace of U.S. military presence. He wanted all the military out of France. Dean Rusk, who was... Secretary of State under President Kennedy and then President Johnson was instructed by President Johnson to say directly to de Gaulle, and here's what he, his little message said. Did the French, in fact, insist upon the removal of all American troops from French soil to include the thousands buried across the country who had given their lives so France could again live in freedom? Do you want us to take all those people buried there and just kind of, you know, take their graves and just get them out of your country? Rather pointed message that he gave to Mr. de Gaulle. I visited Normandy. Anybody else been visit Normandy? I always wanted to do that. I had the chance to do it. It's an interesting place to visit. It really is. You know, a lot of times when there are store places, they build all kinds of stuff around it. and It's kind of like like in the Holy Land, where they built cathedrals around everything. But in Normandy, man, that is just like it was. Um, and we think about the French not being so kind to the Americans. Boy, in Normandy, we are heroes. We are still heroes in Normandy. And you can go there, and there may be a few places where they have little memorial gatherings, but basically, you can go on that beach, and it's just like it was. I mean, you can picture the whole thing in your mind. You can look over there, and it's just amazing. You know, those big iron things they used to put in the thing, you know, to get that. So they're still there. They're still there. They haven't, they've left them all in place. They've left it just like it is. It's a, it's a very moving kind of thing to go there. And then you go just beyond that, there's that huge cemetery with all those markers and all those people who gave their lives. If you ever get a chance, highly recommended visit. Now, justifiable wars. But I participated indirectly, I guess, although I had everything to do with it, I guess, in the war that probably shouldn't have been fought, namely Vietnam. Mr. Robert S. McNamara was the Secretary of Defense during that time. Very bright guy. Used to be an executive at GM and was recruited by President Kennedy initially. He wrote a book called In Retrospect. And I knew it was about Vietnam, and boy, I had to read that. 
And uh, I couldn't believe what I was reading. It was kind of tedious. You know, he's a real heavyweight mentally. Uh, But here's an excerpt, and this is just going to really grab you if you've never heard this before. People are human. They are fallible. I concede with painful candor and a heavy heart that the adage applies to me and to my generation of American leadership regarding Vietnam. Oh, my. People are fallible, even the smart guys. Although we sought to do the right thing and believed we were doing the right thing, in my judgment, hindsight proves us wrong. Oh, ouch. Ouch, Mr. McNamara. By the time the United States finally left South Vietnam in 1973, we had lost over 58,000 men and women. Oh, and you were wrong? You misjudged? Our economy had been damaged by the years of heavy and improperly financed war spending. And the political unit of our society had been shattered, not to be restored for decades. Here's the sad thing. I remember in 1965 in the Philippines, where that was a staging area, guys would come and go, and we used to talk to a lot of them. I shared a hospital room with a captain who had been there, was injured, and was there in the hospital, and he explained to me why it is it was a worthless, no-winnable war. He knew it. And you know something else? The troops knew it. That's the sad commentary. If only the smart guys would simply talk to the troops. It's amazing what a bunch of GIs could figure out in a big hurry. Ever visit the Vietnam Memorial? I had that opportunity. Very moving, very moving. There it is, just the names. People come up, put their fingers across the names. You see people putting uh, flowers and different memorials and that sort of thing there. Very solemn people. People are very quiet, very respectful. Very interesting thing. And then, uh, you know, I uh, go to the VA from time to time. It's not my primary caregiver, but I do have VA visits periodically. And I can almost always tell the Vietnam vets. They are in such sad physical condition, many of them. And I asked the doctor, I said, Doc, I said, why are these guys look so bad? He says, they don't take care of themselves. He says, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, you know, tobacco, the whole business. He said, they just, they just came back shattered and they just don't take care of themselves. A heavy toll. But now here's the good news. God has provided the church with a memorial day. Aren't you glad for that? The church has a memorial day. It's designed to celebrate more than once each year. More than once each year. The words used to describe its frequency are the words translated as often as. And according to Mr. Vine, that word means oft, often, oftener, oftentimes, oftentimes. Some translations use the phrase every time. 
implying a certain amount of frequency. And according to Acts 20, it appears the early church did it every time they met. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. And that's when Paul preached till midnight, but he probably didn't get started till 9 or 10 o'clock, because they met in the evenings. So he probably didn't preach nearly as long as we might have thought. It was designed, or it is designed, to honor a sacrificial death. A sacrificial death. A body that was broken. We remember that this morning. This is my body broken for you. Blood shed. The cup of the new covenant in my blood. And it focuses on one person and one person only in remembrance of me. That person The one we remembered this morning, Jesus Christ, who called his disciples into that upper room. He sat down with them, giving them two symbols that they could remember him by. The only symbols the church has, just those two symbols. And then like the U.S. with its armies, the victory was accomplished by one single man, the eternal Son of God himself, using U.S. uses, uh, what, memorials, symbols? Can somebody name a symbol? What's one of the symbols that we have when we think of our country? I got a flag, I got a wagon flying in my house right now. The American flag, right? It's one of our memorials. Floral arrangements sometimes, wreaths are laid as memorials. Today, Christendom is filled with all sorts of symbols created by man. Sometimes those symbols lead to idolatry. Men start worshiping the symbols rather than the things that those symbols are supposed to represent. But we were only given two, the bread speaking of his body and the fruit of the vine speaking of his blood. And the cause. Was the battle a just cause? Was it a just war? Was it a just battle? Well, let's define the cause. What was the cause? The cause became apparent when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. When the bondage of sin took effect, each party suffered during that fateful time. The serpent suffered, the woman suffered, and Adam suffered. To the serpent, God said, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your her seed, your seed, rather, and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Remember when that happened at the cross of Calvary. And then the woman suffered. To the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and your consumption. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. So she suffered. Adam suffered. Here's what he said to Adam. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Thorns and thistles. Ever go to work and have a bad day? Thorns and thistles. I used to work for a brother who'd come in the morning and say, Don, another day, thorns and thistles. 
Thorns and thistles. That's what it is, isn't it? It's thorns and thistles. You have a good day, bad day, even the good days bring problems. Now man's separated from God. He sends him out of the garden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out man and placed the cherubim in the east of the garden of Eden with the flaming sword so they could not return. And since that time, since that time, down through the ages, God sought a way to have communion with man. It was broken there, but God was seeking to have communion. We read about Noah. Remember the man he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He's the one who built the ark of safety. And we read about Abraham. God wanted a people for himself. So I'll make you a great nation, he says to Abraham. I'll bless you. Make your name great. You should be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse them who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And how true that has been. And then his people came into bondage again. And God heard their cry. And he brings up Moses, raised up Moses, who was called and lead them to out of bondage. And then at the wilderness to journey, we read the tabernacle. Now God really gets serious about communion with man. We have the Ark of the Covenant, the very expression of the presence of God among his people. And God said, I want to commune with you from the Ark, from above the mercy seat between the cherubim. Read a man, Joshua, who carried Israel into the promised land. And then God later on raises up men like Samuel, who served God's people as prophet, priest, and judge. In order to restore his communion, God raised up men like David, the man after his own heart. To lead his people. Good David's son Solomon. Of course you know this history. But then finally. Finally. God does he says. But when the fullness of the time had come. God sent forth his son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption. As sons. God stepping in. To history when. The time was just right. I think I probably asked this question before, but have you ever wondered if you could choose what part of history you could live in, which one would it be? How about those colonial days? Or would you like to have been on planet Earth and Jesus walked the face of Earth? You know, we could go on and on through history and point out different things. This question was asked to my mother-in-law. She was attending a history course, and you know what she said? Now. This is when I want to live <laughs> because we have the opportunity of looking back and reflecting. Well, why would God all this trouble? Why would God go to all this trouble? And it's simple, isn't it, really, if you think about it. God so loved. And why does God love? God is love. John said, that's his nature. That's his personality. That's part of his character. And the one who is love will love. But then something else. He wants sons. That's it. He always is looking for sons. Conformed to the image of his dear son. Buck read that scripture. And bringing many sons unto glory. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And to the Romans he says. For whom he foreknew he also predestined, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among Many brethren. God wants sons. So that was the issue. 
God wants communication, communion with his sons. The issue, the cause is clearly fine. The bondage of sin and spiritual death. To the Romans, Paul says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And then there's the bondage of the devil. My, the devil having the power of death, the writer of Hughes writes. He's the one who introduced sin into the world when he tempted Eve, resulting in spiritual death. And Paul writes to the Romans, informing them that they were once slaves of sin. So there was the issue. Then comes the good part, the freedom, the freedom. How was it obtained? How was freedom obtained? How was freedom usually obtained? beginning from the, with the Revolutionary War, battles were fought to obtain and preserve our freedoms. Lives were sacrificed, victories obtained, removal of the oppressor, after which subsequent battles sometimes were fought simply to maintain those freedoms. Sacrifice, death of noble men. Likewise, God obtained freedom for mankind in a very similar manner. Remember the verse we read in Hebrews. It says that he himself shared the same, that he might destroy him of the power of death that is the devil and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. It began with God's recruitment program when he appointed his son to lead into battle. He's referred as the captain of our salvation. He became flesh. He dwelt among us. The battle place, Golgotha's hill. The issue is what? Sin and death. In the devil who had the power of death. The sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The most notable of all, God's eternal perfect Son. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So victory over sin involved a battle. It involved sacrifice. It involved death. But now the memorial. The memorial. The U.S. is about to remember and honor those men and women who gave their lives for their country in defense of freedom. And in the so doing, they fought battles, these are the ones who died and did not return. You talk to any person who's still living, who was involved in some of those battles, and they would tell you the real heroes are the ones that didn't come back, the ones who are buried, the comes or to memorialize tomorrow. And it's now it's up to those subsequent generations to maintain that freedom. And here again, the church remembers and honors one who sacrificed his life to obtain freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. And he returned. He returned to maintain our freedom. He's the one who established the church as part of his conquest, his bride. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Paul says, he's the head of the body of the church, who's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, then all things he may have the preeminence. And unlike mortal men who did not come back, Christ returned from the dead to maintain the freedoms of eternal life.
Another battle is not required. By the which will we are sanctified to the offering for Christ, of Christ once and for all. And his endless life assures our freedom. He's able to say to the uttermost that come unto God, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for us. So our notes of tribute and appreciation go directly to our risen living head. And Peter says, in so doing, you're exercising your priesthood, your holy priesthood. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own peculiar people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we pause to pay tribute to those who have fallen in battle. May we not neglect to pay tribute to the one who alone could say this. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So aren't you glad it's not just once a year? We have a living memorial with a living Savior who died and returned and lives to maintain our freedom from sin and death. As often, right? As often as you do this, as often as you remember. Maybe we ought to have memorials every month, I don't know, <laughs> for our country. But it's a good thing we have at least one. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we're thankful for our risen head. and We've come today to memorialize him. Remember him. He's the one who lives and who was dead and is alive again forevermore. He's the one who established our freedom and maintains our freedom, for which we are so eternally grateful. So we pray, Father, these thoughts about him and about our own country. We bring a blessing to our own hearts. We pray for our country, pray for our leaders, pray you give them wisdom to do the things that would be to the benefit of those who live under their authority. Now pray, Father, that you just part us with your blessing, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.